We're in the middle of a series on our core values as a church and how those values become practices that lead to abundant life and Easter living, even though Easter Sunday is over. Our values are things like committed to Christ, biblical hospitality, discipleship making, transformational mission, and this morning we're talking about worship that makes a difference. Our scripture reading this morning picks up after the Easter story, the tomb is empty, the disciples have heard that Jesus is raised from the dead, but not all of them have seen him yet, and so this story is on a journey where some of these disciples see the risen Christ for the first time. Now on the same day, two of them were going to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were our hearts not burning within us while we were talking to us on the road, while we were opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he made them know, made, he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Please pray with me. God, we too want to encounter the risen Christ. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And in the midst of everything else in this time of worship, that we might encounter your spirit. Amen. When I was in seminary in Washington, D.C., I visited a different church every Sunday morning. And I experienced all kinds of different worship styles and different traditions and different buildings and different congregational uh, vibes. One church was doing a massive renewal of wedding vows on the Sunday that I arrived, so that was a little bit different. There was one Sunday uh, where I arrived and it turned out the church met together for breakfast every single week. and. When they said the worship time on their website, what they meant was breakfast time. So I walked in, and there they all were sitting around tables. And it took us a while before we actually got to the part where we sang and prayed and all the rest of it that we might think of typically as worship. One worship service had a farmer talking about sheep that he had raised. Another one had a breakdancing troupe. There were just all these different styles, all these different experiences going to churches in worship. But the most memorable worship services for me were not necessarily the services with the flashiest technology or even the best coffee or cookies, although that is important. Instead, I found that my experience in worship depended largely on two things. The first one being my attitude. Was I ready when I came into worship to receive whatever God was going to put out there for me to experience? Was I personally prepared to encounter the Holy Spirit wherever I went. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was the other people that were in that space. Were they ready to encounter the Holy Spirit? Were they excited to be in worship? Because you know you can tell when you walk into a church, people are 
glad to be there. From the greeters to the people serving coffee to the ushers, you get a sense of whether people like being at their church or whether they're kind of shuffling their feet and saying, oh, I'm not really happy to be here this morning. You can tell. You can tell if people find joy in their work, if they find joy in their church community. And I'm not talking about sometimes we fall prey to the fakey, over-enthusiastic greetings at church. You don't have to be wild and out there to be excited and have a spirit of joy. You can be just quietly in your pew, preparing yourself for worship, getting ready to encounter God. You don't, there's no one single way to go about it, to be joyful. I remember one woman who had a conversation with me when I was visiting a church, and she was in the pew in front of me, and she turned around, and she invited me to a Bible study. She pointed at her bulletin and said, hey, you know, I think you'd be a good, good fit for this Bible study. It meets on Thursdays or whenever it met. And she said, I, I think you should come. And I remember that invitation in particular because it was so authentic. And this woman clearly loved her church. And there wasn't anything desperate about her invitation. There wasn't anything coercive. It was just an invitation to stick around. Because she clearly loved her church and thought, I might too. That was years ago, but I still remember that woman and that interaction with her. So when I enter a worship service ready to encounter God, and other people there were also ready to encounter God, something powerful happened in those worship moments. I received renewal. I received a reminder about why I was doing what I was doing. I got energy. I felt the Holy Spirit. I think probably it's the same for each one of us. When we have that spirit and we're ready to encounter God and the people around us are ready to encounter God, something happens. Something happens. Now, God is constant. So there's never a question of whether or not God is going to show up to our worship services. Even if I showed up on any given Sunday and I didn't know the songs... God was still there. If I showed up and the church happened to be talking about money that Sunday, God was still there. God is constant. And so it was just a question for me of whether I was in that headspace or that heart space to meet God's spirit. You know, you can tell when people love their church because they hang around for a while after worship. They stay and they drink coffee or they eat a cookie or they're just chatting with their friends. It's a countercultural thing to linger like that. It's a countercultural thing to stay in one place longer than is strictly necessary because we're so busy. I mean, forget about lingering after church. You all are revolutionaries for being here in worship on a Sunday morning. A whole hour of your time you're dedicating. Because you want to experience God. That's a countercultural thing to focus on one thing for so long. That's revolutionary. Many of us find ourselves multitasking at every other point in our lives. We're checking our phones or our email while we're talking. We're driving and we're listening to music or we're thinking about what we have to make for dinner or we're walking and we're thinking about 10 other things on our to-do list. That's how we are as a culture. We're never thinking about just one thing. And we're busy. And we're individualistic. We're thinking about our next task, our next item to do. And so when we finish something that we have to accomplish, it's on to the next thing so often. And yet, there's something holy in intentionally pausing together. There's something sacred about lingering over a cup of coffee 
or a cup of tea, about sitting in one spot like you all are this morning for an hour or so, seeking to encounter God, surrounded by people with the same goal, trusting that God is going to show up in this place. Sometimes pausing in this way allows us to see God in a new way. And that's what happened in our scripture passage this morning about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So after the resurrection, two of Jesus' disciples are walking to this small town called Emmaus. It's not a fancy or well-known town. It's just the place that they happen to be walking to, immortalized in this scripture passage, Emmaus. And a stranger approaches them and starts to walk with them. And as readers, we know it's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And Cleopas and the other disciples start talking about Jesus and all these things that had happened. And they're really animated as they go about it. And they're, they're telling the story. And Jesus says, hey, what are you talking about so intensely over there? Jesus says to them. And Cleopas says, well, haven't you heard what's happened? And Jesus, in classic rabbinical fashion, asks this really simple question, well, what happened? And Cleopas proceeds to tell him the entire story. Cleopas says, well, you know what? He was a man of God. He was a prophet. Jesus taught us, and he did all these amazing things, and then he suffered, and he died. And then people went to the tomb, and they say it's empty, but they didn't find Jesus. And then Jesus says back, well, haven't you read the scriptures? Don't you know that this is how it had to be? And then Jesus starts at the beginning, and he takes them through the entire Bible and gives them all the references about himself in the scriptures, from the book of Moses to the prophets. He teaches them all a lesson. And you would think that the disciples at this point would start to understand that they're walking with Jesus Christ himself. You and I might assume that they would get it, since Jesus is teaching about himself. But no, these disciples have no clue. And this rabbi, this Jesus, he's got this extensive knowledge of scripture. Even if they didn't know that it was Jesus himself, you would think they might pause for a moment and say, huh, this man knows a lot. It's kind of surprising that we've not met him before. How do, how do we not know a rabbi of this caliber? But nothing like that is recorded in the scripture. Now, after the fact, when the disciples are talking to one another and they reflect back on this walk with Jesus, they say, well, weren't our hearts burning within us the entire time? But it took them a while to understand what that feeling meant. That their hearts burning within them meant they were in the presence of the risen Christ. It's only when they invite Jesus to stay that they truly recognize who he is. They finally pause for a moment to rest at the end of their journey when they reach Emmaus. And that's the catalyst. That's the moment. They pause. And they say, hey, Jesus, stay with us. And that's when Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it. When they pause, that's when they're fed. When they pause, that's when they recognize God in their midst. That's when they're launched out to tell the story and to run back to Jerusalem and say, hey, guess what we've experienced, you guys? This is amazing. It's almost like they're lingering over their coffee after a worship service, and that's when the epiphany strikes them. They thought it would happen in worship, but no, it's over after the journey is done. When they're drinking that coffee, that's when the revelation strikes. Now, clearly it's a little bit different than that because they're with Jesus himself. But sometimes it takes us a moment to get it, does it not? 
Sometimes it takes us a moment. 2,000 years after the setting of this scripture passage, Christians continue to gather regularly for worship. And there's a variety of things that happen in every worship service. We sing songs, we, we give God praise, we ask for forgiveness, we share our blessings, we share our burdens, we check in with one another, we find the courage to put one foot in front of the other sometimes. But perhaps first and foremost, we gather for worship to pause collectively from all of the hectic things that are going on in the rest of our lives with the hope and expectation that like those early disciples, we will encounter the risen Christ. We will encounter God's presence and power. Now when the disciples reached Emmaus, Jesus acted like he was going to go on ahead and it was on them to say, no, don't leave us, stay. Stay with us. Stay here. And Jesus stayed with them. Sometimes when words fail and there's nothing more to be done, what we have to offer is simply our presence. We may not be able to do anything, but we can stay. Because remaining with one another is, in fact, a sacred thing. I remember when I went for my commissioning interview with the Board of Ordained Ministry. I was just beginning as a pastor back in 2011, and my clergy mentor offered to come with me to sit outside while I went in and did my interview up in Port Huron. And initially I thought, I don't know if I really need her to do that. You know, I feel prepared. I feel like I've studied enough. I don't, I don't know. But then I thought, well, why not? Why not? And so I went in to do my interviews, and she sat in the waiting area. And at that time, it was a series of, of interviews with different people, and so you'd have time in between where you'd come out and you'd just linger in the waiting area while you were waiting for the next thing. And so each time I came out from an interview, there she was, and she was just sitting there, staying, remaining, to be a source of comfort and courage. And there was nothing she could do by the time I had answered all the questions. There was no more wisdom she could provide. She couldn't intervene in any way, but she was just there with me. And it was comforting. There are at least five different words in Greek that can be translated as stay in English. There's ten more in Hebrew. I'm not going to list them all for you this morning. But the particular Greek word that's used in the story of the walk to Emmaus can be translated as to remain or to abide. It can mean to dwell or to live or to continue over time to pause, to tarry, which, honestly, when's the last time you used the word tarry, other than singing a hymn, probably? The word can also simply mean to continue. So the disciples are saying, remain with us, Jesus. Stay with us. Continue with us. It suggests a fixed state, an intentional, steadfast, continuous state of pausing. So I got to tell you, it's Mother's Day. I got to tell a small shout out to my mom. She's sitting in worship here this morning. My mom is a master of this kind of staying in one place. If somebody that she knows is in the hospital, she will pack up all her stuff and she will camp out in their hospital room. And she's done this a dozen times for my grandparents when any of the four of them had a health crisis. She did the same thing when my dad had his hip replaced she always has her notebook and her pen, and she's ready to write down things. But you all know if you've ever sat with somebody who's in the hospital, 
there's very little that you can actually do for them. You can show up at 6 o'clock in the morning hoping to catch the doctors, and you can be there and you can ask questions, but ultimately there's very little that you can do when you're sitting alongside somebody who's in the hospital. But it's still so important to be there and to sit with that person. You're just waiting expectantly, continuing, remaining with that person that you care about. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you abide in me. Other translations say it this way, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. Or simply, looking at our scripture from Emmaus, just stay, continue, pause with me. In Greek, this is the same verb that gets used in the Emmaus passage that leads Christ to reveal his identity to the disciples. Stay. The world has so many demands on our time. We're inundated with reasons not to gather together in worship. I mean, there's sporting events, there's health issues, there's things to do, there's people to see, there's brunch to be eaten. I mean, there's so many reasons that you might have not to come to a worship service. And yet, over and over again, we find reminders in Scripture of how important it is to step away from the world for a moment, to abide with God collectively. There is something sacred and powerful in pausing together to reflect and pray and sing. And we encounter God through these holy encounters that we have with one another on Sunday mornings. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples told the story. They told the story to Jesus himself. But it's only after they invited him to stay with them, only after they paused and the journey was over, that they truly got it, that their eyes were open, that they could recognize that Jesus was with them the entire time. And it can take us a while to get it, too. That's why we gather every single week to worship God. We're staying with one another. We're remaining with God. Stepping away from those pressures of the outside world to sing, hopefully with some gusto, to pray fervently, to offer what we have and who we are to God. Most of us can share personal examples of how a worship service has changed us in some way. We can share a story about how music has served as a springboard into service, or a prayer or a message inspired us to act differently, or a friend's kind words encouraged us and helped us get through a difficult time. We've got stories like that. We also know in this community, at this church, because we gather together, lives are changed. Because you all continue to gather together each week, people are fed, clean water is shared. Elementary school children are tutored, high schoolers are mentored, food is dispersed on a monthly basis to families who need it, hope is proclaimed. I mean, lives are transformed because we all continue to gather together and use this as a launching pad for God's ministry into the world. This makes a major difference in our community. And yet, at the core of it all, we come together because we want to encounter God's power and God's love, and God's grace. And it's holy to gather together with one another. Jesus said it this way, when two or more are gathered, I am with you. And we know the truth. When we worship together, we are changed. We're transformed, we're shaped. 
Now, it might not happen all at once. So if you walk out of this worship service today and you say, oh man, I was not changed dramatically. Well, it might not happen in a single Sunday. So I would encourage you to come back again next week. It might take a little while for God to work on us. But over the course of time, week after week, as we come into this place, as we see these people, as we worship God together, we find that we're not the same as we were when we started the journey. We find that God has, in fact, changed our hearts and our minds and our lives. Eventually, God will be revealed to each one of us in new and powerful ways. And we may look back on our journey after the fact, and we may say, you know, God was with me the whole time. Like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, they say, our hearts were burning within us. We just didn't know that it was Jesus. The truth is, God is with us all along, even if we can't see it. And so the invitation this morning is simple. Let us gather together, staying with one another through the good times and the bad. Let us linger in this place, understanding that sometimes it takes us a while to get it. Epiphanies can be offered after the official journey is over. And finally, let us worship, trusting that when we gather together, we will encounter the risen Christ. May it be so for us. Amen.